Uh, but today we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verse, um, verse 40 through 56. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 56. We are finishing up chapter 8. And in this chapter, um, what we are seeing is, is something incredible go on. What we saw in the beginning of Luke 8 was that Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And throughout 8, what we're seeing is Jesus revealing what the mystery of the kingdom of God looks like a little bit. What we are seeing this morning are two things happen. We're seeing two instances. We're actually seeing one big story and then a little story within that bigger story. And we're seeing a a husband and a wife, a a father and a mother who have spent 12 years with their daughter. 12 incredible years with their daughter, seeing their daughter grow and mature and become a young woman. And what has happened is this daughter has gotten ill to the point of death. But they've gotten to spend 12 wonderful years with this daughter. And on the other hand, what we are seeing is 12 years of a woman who has suffered immensely. Our passage, as we'll see, even says that she spent all of her living on trying to become healed. So so we see on one hand, 12 great years, but kind of um, something tragic starting to happen. 12 terrible years going on now. Not only are we seeing this difference between these 12 years, but we are seeing this social elite um, ruler of a synagogue come to plead before Jesus. And what we're seeing is one of the, the, the most socially outcasted people that you could possibly see um, or experience as a, a Jewish person. And so what I'd like to do for us is Read this passage, pray for us, and then start going through this. Starting in verse 40, our passage says this. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, the crowd surrounded you and, you are, and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that She was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. 
While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise! And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Father, we ask this morning that you would enlighten us to your word, that your spirit would soften our hearts and open our eyes to what your word is saying, to what your son Jesus has done. Please open up the ears of all that are in here. Please protect me from, from saying anything that I shouldn't say or, um, or trying to impose on your word. Please allow me just to be a, a faithful instrument in your hands this morning. Would you encourage your children? Would you encourage your people? Would you stir in them a, a holy desire to, to love you and glorify you more? And Father, if that looks like coming through conviction of the Spirit for, for practiced patterns of sin, would you please reveal that to your people? And for those who do not know you that are here this morning, would you soften your, their hearts to this glorious word, to this good news, to what your son Jesus is doing, has come to do, and will continue to do. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. When I was a freshman in college, I did one of the most freshman-like things in college that you could possibly do. I'll admit it, I'll confess it, I got into a Facebook argument. I'm sure none of you, none of you do that. What, it, what had transpired was all I had put on Facebook was, God is good. It's a very true statement. But what had happened was an old basketball teammate of mine that I, I played basketball with over the past eight years or so commented on it and saying, if God is so good, why is there sickness and death and bad things that happen? Now, out of my ignorance, I don't remember really what I'd said, but all I remember is kind of going back and forth with, with this guy. Of course, in such a loving way, right? <laughs> but that is an interesting question, isn't it? Why is there sickness and death?
Well, at the fall, sin just didn't enter into this world. At the fall, what we see taking place is disease entering, death entering, separation from God. You see, the the fall not only stained our hearts with sin and caused us to be separated from God, it also brought sickness and death. But what our passage is showing us this morning is that faith in Jesus saves the sin-sick sinner and raises the dead in sin to newness of life. In the first few verses of our passage, what we are seeing going on is a desperate father. We, we see Jesus come back over the Sea of Galilee and he is warmly welcomed. People are excited to see him. They are excited that he is back because he's causing all of these great miracles to happen. People are being healed. Diseases are being thrown away. Flus are being told to leave and they are leaving. And so he is warmly welcomed back. People may be confused about who this Jesus person is, but what they aren't confused on is when Jesus speaks and tells a disease or something to go away, it listens to him. But then we see something strange take place. We see a, a father. We see a, a, the ruler of a synagogue Run to Jesus, fall before his face, and plead with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. Losing a child is something no parent should have to experience. But because of the fall, it happens. And Jairus is losing his daughter. Being a ruler of the synagogue, he would have heard from other Pharisees and rulers of what Jesus had done. And what we saw a few chapters ago is, is Jesus heal or, or raise to dead a, a young man. And so most likely, it's, it would be very okay to say that, that this ruler of the synagogue would have heard that Jesus was healing the sick, but not only healing the sick, but also raised this young man to dead or to, to life, <laughs> raised him to dead. He would have raised him to life. And so the, the ruler of this synagogue isn't worrying about the buzz that these Pharisees are probably saying about Jesus. He's not listening to them conspire against Jesus. All Jairus knows is that his daughter is dying and that Jesus can heal his daughter. And so this ruler of the synagogue runs to Jesus, falls before his feet and pleads with Jesus Please come and heal my daughter. 
what we see is then Jesus start to walk with him to his house. We see a desperate father who was desperate enough to run to Jesus. One of, uh, uh, one of the, the people that I really like to, to read, his name is, is John Bunyan. Not Paul Bunyan's brother. Um, but John Bunyan was, was an old evangelist. He's long gone now. Um, but he was an old evangelist. He wrote uh, a famous book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Besides the, the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress is one of the most sold copies or, or books, um, I believe, still to this day. And in Pilgrim's Progress, what you're seeing is this main character called Christian. He's got this huge burden on his back. And, and the burden is supposed to represent his, his sin. And it gets to a point where Christian cannot handle his sin any longer. And he's desperate, looking for a way to, to find relief from his sin. So much so that Christian then starts going on this journey to, to find relief. If this does not explain the Christian life, I don't know what does. You see, when you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus desperate. And you know, sometimes what I pray for our church is that our church would be desperate for Jesus. Because what it feels like or seems like all too often in this day and age is that some of us just aren't desperate for Jesus. It seems like we like the idea of Jesus. We think he's a pretty good, morally good teacher. He can save me from this thing called hell. But yet, there's not this desperation in our hearts and this desperation doesn't go away. It, it stays with us throughout the Christian life. And so my prayer for us sometimes is, is that we would be a church that's desperate for Jesus. And there are some of you that I, I pray for that God would bring you to your wit's end to be desperate for Jesus because until you are desperate enough, what will happen is that you will continue to keep holding your sin to yourself. What we are seeing is that the ruler of this synagogue was in desperate need of Jesus. And so I'm here to ask you, are you in desperate need of Jesus? Whether you've been a Christian for 25, 30, 40, 50 years, or you know God is doing something in your heart and you wouldn't really say that you're a Christian, are you desperate for Jesus? Because we not only see Jairus, the ruler of this synagogue, being desperate for Jesus, but what we're seeing is that this Sick woman is desperate for Jesus too. I'm going to read verses 43 through 48 for us. And so there was a, a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And 
Though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This woman for 12 years, for 12 years she was stricken with this disease and, and what the Leviticus, what, what the, the ceremonial law in Leviticus 15 shows us is that because she was unclean, she would have been seen as an outcast to society. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to the temple or, or go to the synagogue. But not only was she an outcast to society, but she would have been an outcast to her own family as well. Because with the disease that she had, it was a fear that it would have been passed on. So everything that she touched, people would stay away and not touch that. I mean, uh, imagine in, in the spot that you're sitting right now. If you're this woman and the next week you come back, it's all bagged up in one of those contaminated bags and burned. People did not want to be around her. She was unclean. Not only was she unclean, she was sick. She was very sick. And our passage tells us for the past 12 years, she had spent all of her living trying to get healed. And in fact, in the other Gospels, what it says is that the physicians not only tried to heal her, but they actually made it worse for her. Uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading while, while preparing for this actually says that because Luke was a doctor, he was letting his biasness come in because he didn't want to throw his other doctors underneath the bus. And so he, he just kind of says that, um, that the physicians could not uh, heal her. I mean, think about that. Your life savings for the past 12 years and the doctors just continue to tell you we can't do anything, we can't do anything. Oh, in fact, it's actually worse than before. Sorry. And so as this woman is hearing about Jesus, she says to herself, all I need to do is just touch a fringe I just need to touch a fringe of his garment and I will be healed. And so not caring about her uncleanliness according to the law, she goes out into this crowd of people. She reaches out and she touches. She touches the fringe. 
And it says, immediately. I love it when that word is in there. Immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Immediately she was healed. It was not like five seconds and you slowly start to see or she slowly starts to feel better. It was she touched Jesus' fringe, the fringe of Jesus' garment, and she was immediately healed. Immediately. The blood discharge ceased. It was gone. And Jesus perceived this and knowing this, he said, someone touched me because power has gone out for me. And here comes Peter opening up his mouth again. Jesus, you're, a bunch of people are touching you. What do you mean? What do you mean that somebody's touching you? People are pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you at this point. And Jesus says, no, this time it's different. Something else happened here. Something different happened. And this something different is what Jesus wants to make a point of. And so he asks, who touched me? Everybody around him denied it, which is kind of funny to me because Peter says everyone is pressing in on you and then everyone denies. I'm not the one that's touching you. And this woman, knowing that she wouldn't be able to get away, falls before Jesus' feet just like Jairus. Trembling. And in front of everybody, she tells them her past. For 12 years, I've been trying to be healed. And I'm the one who touched the fringe of your garment, Jesus, and immediately my disease left me. Fearful not knowing what Jesus would do to her, we see one of the most amazing responses that Jesus gives to any woman. In fact, this is the only response that's recorded that he says. He says, daughter. You see, Jesus is drawing something greater out than just somebody being healed here. Jesus is drawing out the fact that this is a daughter. This is a daughter that he is talking to. A daughter of the same father Jesus has. Because he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You see, I, I'm going to break a rule that my Greek teacher told me never to do. So don't tell him this. He told me that Greek is like underpants when you're preaching. It should support you in the pulpit, but you should never show it. This word well here, this word well here is is the word sozo in Greek, which means saved. Jesus is drawing out something deeper. He's drawing out a deeper implication here than just the, the fact that, that she's been healed from her disease. See, we could also read this. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, he's not just drawing out the implications that your, your disease is healed. What he's saying is there is something greater that is happening in this woman's life and I want to show it. You see, her faith has saved her. Now go in peace. What did this woman do to deserve this? Nothing. 
All she did was have faith. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, far too often, it's easy for us to think that I'm too sick to come to Jesus. I'm too sinful to come to Jesus. I've got too much junk. My closet is is full. If Jesus really knew what I've done, then he wouldn't want me. But let me tell you something. You can't out-sin God's grace. Now, please, don't hear me say that, that you should continue to sin, right? The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 actually says, Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. But what I am saying is that there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. And so you can come to Jesus. You can come to him. And he'll take your burden and give you rest. You are not too sick to come to Jesus. You are not too sinful to come to Jesus. Jesus has come to save the sin-sick sinner. This is what we see with this woman. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, I'm sure Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue, was thinking to himself, what is Jesus doing? My daughter is dying and Jesus is is taking time to to talk to this this woman right here. What what is he doing? My, My daughter, Jesus. And we are told that while Jesus was still speaking, somebody from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter, your daughter's dead. She's gone, Jairus. Don't bother the teacher. There's nothing else that he can do. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. There's that word sozo again. Jesus is telling this ruler. He's actually commanding a very strange command. Do not fear. That's not the the normal thing that you tell someone when they just hear your, your child has died. But here Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. So when he approached the house with the the disciples and the mother and the father, the mourning process had already started. The funeral, funeral had begun. Back then, the funeral would happen right away. 
the, the professional mourners and weepers and wailers and musicians would have probably already been at the house playing. Because this was a ruler of the synagogue, I'm sure that it was loud because he could afford the best. And Jesus, in the midst of all of these weeping people, the music, the, the mourners, he says, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. Stop your weeping. She isn't dead. She's sleeping. And what do we see that they laughed at him? They, now, I can't prove this, but I'm sure it was one of those awkward laughs. Like, <laughs> okay, Jesus. And so he took the father and the mother and Peter and John and James into the room and he says two words. Two words. Child, arise. Two words. And what does our passage tell us? And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. This last point right here, something should be given to her to, her to eat, is crucial. It may seem like a like kind of a, a pointless thing to, to add in here, but... Right, doesn't that show that she is one alive but also well? Have you ever been sick? Normally when you're sick, you really don't want to eat, right? But the sign of getting healthy is that your appetite starts to come back. And so we're not seeing that when Jesus arose this young 12-year-old to life, that she was still just a, a little bit sick or that she'll gradually get better. No, we see that immediately when her spirit returned to her, she'd asked for something to eat. This young girl is healthy as healthy can be. And then maybe one of the most puzzling <laughs> verses. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. You know, I can't really explain that one other than just it's one of Jesus' mysteries. Because surely people would have still gone out and told them what had just happened. You see, one of the things that Jesus is drawing out in Jairus' heart is this fear. The first time that Sharice and I left Haddon alone with somebody, I, I'd never told Sharice this because I'm the macho man and I need to. But the first time that, that we let somebody watch Haddon and we went out, I'm sitting there freaking out thinking, our child is, we're going to come back and our child's going to be missing an arm or something. Not just like a, a finger, but just a complete arm. Um, even though the person had reassured us, no, it's okay, I've got this under control. The baby's probably just going to sleep the whole entire time. This and that, I am still thinking, nope. It's going to be an armless child. 
And so during that whole entire time that Sharice and I are out, this, this fear is gripping me to the point where now I'm thinking constantly, okay, we're going to get a call, we're going to get a call, and I'm just not enjoying myself anymore. Inappropriate fear mingled with faith chokes out your trust in the promises of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is telling this guy right here. Do not fear, only believe, because as your fear is creeping into your faith, you will not trust the promise that I have given to you that I will heal your daughter, whether she's living or dead. Oh, brothers and sisters, where is your fear? How is your fear causing you not to trust in Jesus? What promises are being diminished because this fear that is grasping your heart right now. Jesus has given us wonderful promises. And it's far too easy to let fear come in to choke out our faith and trust in those promises. Where what tends to happen then is then I say, you know, okay, I've got this under control. I can do this. I, I, I know that, that, that Jesus has got me, but I, I still need to kind of muster up some of this on myself. Is fear mingling with your faith? If so, where? You see, what we are seeing in this passage is what Jesus says at the start of, or what we're told at the start of Luke 8, that Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is showing us right here what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus has come to restore and reconcile all things back to the Father. This is the, the mission of Jesus, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to die for the sins of the world. And this is exactly what Jesus is showing us in this passage, is that he has come to restore the sick, to give life to the dead. Jesus has come to save the, the sin-sick Sinner and raise the dead to newness of life. And this is exactly what we're seeing in this passage. This is exactly what Luke is drawing out for us as he starts saying, Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, moves into the parable of the sower, telling us, Be careful how you hear. To now showing us what it looks like when we properly hear the Word of God. This is our task, church. This is now our mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to proclaim the gospel, to see the sin-sick sinner made well, to see the dead in sin raised to newness of life. 
How can they hear if no one is proclaiming and preaching the good news? How could you be raised to life if no one brought the gospel to you? This is what we see throughout Jesus' life is that he is bringing gospel transformation, good news transformation to the sinner. And that he continues to bring gospel transformation to those who believe in him. It's our responsibility to bring that good news now. The torch has been passed. We have a responsibility to carry out. And you know what? We're not alone. Because the Spirit is helping us. Let's pray.